they say there's a broken rung phenomenon with women and that for every 100 men who are promoted from entry-level roles to manager positions, only 87 women are promoted and only 82 women of color are promoted. Uh, women are starting from a disadvantage and this starts very early in their career and it has a compounding effect as they work their way through the workforce. Hmm. We also know that in terms of pay equity, uh, women are generally earning about 83 cents on the dollar for every dollar a man earns. And that's even less, again, for women of color. So those are just two stark statistics that show we've got a ways to go. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Hello, and welcome back to season five of the Inspire Podcast. I cannot believe we're here after four great seasons. Here we are back for another year, and thank you for all who have been listening and enjoying and writing in and promoting the show. It's been a great journey, and I'm, I'm very excited to relaunch the podcast for 2023 with a very special episode in celebration of the 2023 International Women's Day. At the Humphrey Group, uh, we've spent two decades working to support the advancement of women to pursue equality and help close a lot of the um, gaps that exist on everything from representation to compensation. And there's no question, though there has been progress in the world, we're still a long way from equity and equality. And this International Women's Day theme is Embrace Equity. And we're going to talk today with my guests, and I have three guests, about the difference between equality and equity, how to pursue equality through equity, and the differences between what organizations can do and individuals. I'm pleased to welcome three uh, capable uh, voices on this topic, all of whom are members of the Humphrey Group in different capacities, and they'll introduce themselves in a moment. But at a high level, joining me from Vancouver is Marissa Dyke. Marissa is our Vice President of People and Operations. She's done some tremendous work as we as a company have sought to improve our practices to make them more equitable and in doing so create a more equal company. She'll talk uh, a bit about that work and what we can learn from it. Joining me from Toronto is Angemina Park. She's a consultant with the Humphrey Group. She's written, if you follow our blog, uh, she's written a huge number of pieces, uh, which taps into, and you'll hear about her expertise in diversity, equity, and inclusion. She's uh, an important voice today. And last joining me from Mexico is Claudia Villarán. Claudia is a consultant with the Humphrey Group. She has before, and she's a certified coach. Prior to joining the Humphrey Group, she had a long, distinguished career as a marketing executive, and she brings uh, not only a perspective as a coach, as a facilitator, but also as a leader in Latin America. So really pleased to have all three of these um, women on for a very important discussion. So Marissa, uh, I'll let you introduce yourself first. Go ahead. Thanks, Bart. So as you said, my role at the Humphrey Group is Vice President of People and Operations. 
In my role, I work on our policies, systems, and people strategy to foster an inspiring workplace. So very excited to bring our lens of what organizations can do in terms of their systems to support gender equity. Thanks, Percy. Yeah, it's great to have you. I know you, you've done so much at the Humphrey Group. I'm so grateful for the leadership you've shown and look forward to your thoughts today. Angie, I'll turn to you next. Go ahead. Sure, Bart. Thank you so much for having me. As you mentioned, I belong to the Toronto office and I wear uh, several hats at the Humphrey Group. So I I'm a consultant. I'm also a part of the learning experience design team. And on the team, I lead research and contribute to the design of our DEI programs. And outside of the Humphrey Group, I'm also a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Toronto in the Department of Management and also cross-affiliated with the Institute for Gender and the Economy at the Rotman School of Management. Yeah, great, great credentials. And I know, Andy, you've already produced so much compelling content for our followers on our, our blog and, and groundbreaking work uh, around our programs in DEI space. So thanks for joining us today. Claudia, uh, last but not least, welcome. Thank you, Bart, for inviting me to this dialogue. And uh, I collaborate with the Humphrey Group as a consultant, but I am also an ISF professional executive coach working a lot for leadership with women. So I am so happy to be part of this particular subject today. Yeah, we're, we're grateful to have you, Claudia. Thank, thanks for joining. Angie, let me start with you. Why, why does equity matter? And why, are, why do we have so far to go to get there? Sure. I think that's a great place to start. And I think the first thing to think about is really the difference between gender equality and equity. So if we put it simply, equality means we're striving for equal treatment, but equity means something different, right? It means we're striving for a sense of fair treatment. And so some people consider the gender equality piece as the end goal and equity as the process of getting there. And so when we say gender equality, we're not saying that men and women should be the same, but that the rights we have, the opportunities we're given shouldn't depend on whether you're born as a male or a female. And then there's the layer of equity, right? So equity is that process. And while we're working toward gender equality, we should also be fair. And that means we should consider the ways that women are starting from a place of disadvantage and may need different resources and support than men do. Uh, and so often when we need, when we know, whether we notice it or not, women are starting from a place of disadvantage when it comes to entering into leadership roles, getting paid equally, or receiving equal recognition for the ability mm -hmm. and the work that they do. And, you know, things like bias and stereotypes impact this, but also the lack of role models uh, in, in the workplace, mm -hmm. uh, as well as different policies that have existed in organizations as well. So I think all of these factor into why equity uh, is so difficult uh, to mm -hmm. achieve, but also on top of this, you know, we also have to consider that not all women are the same, right? And so mm. when we think about gender equity, it's not all about gender. There's so many intersecting barriers that women face based on different parts of their identity as well. So Angie, you really outlined that difference between, you know, 
striving for equality and pursuing it through equity. And I know we are far from equality. Marissa, you come at this from the lens of organizations uh, and, and some great research. Any statistics that you, you can highlight that demonstrate how far we have to go? Oh, there are numerous. Uh, to point to a few, uh, McKinsey published a study called Women in the Workplace 2022. This came out in October 2022. They have a variety of statistics. I would recommend that everybody check out this article. But as an example, they say there's a broken rung phenomenon with women and that for every 100 men who are promoted from entry-level roles to manager positions, only 87 women are promoted and only 82 women of color are promoted. Uh, women are starting from a disadvantage and this starts very early in their career and it has a compounding effect as they work their way through the workforce. Hmm. We also know that in terms of pay equity, uh, women are generally earning about 83 cents on the dollar for every dollar a man earns. And that's even less again for women of color. So those are just two stark statistics that show we've got a ways to go. Yeah. So a long way to close that gap. And also, you know, this, Closing the gap on equity. I mean, I know Marissa, you know, you've done some amazing work with our team over the last several years to improve equity to drive that equality. Can you just talk about a couple of the, the things that you've seen at the Humber Group, but just more broadly that speak to why we don't yet have equity in hiring practices and compensation practices? What what are some sim signals if leaders are listening that say, hmm, maybe we're not as equitable as we need to be? Mm -hmm. I'll start by saying high level that many systems and policies in workplaces generally benefit men. Uh, this is the case because generally men have been dominant in the workforce and they've created systems and workplace cultural norms based on the things that benefit them. So from a start, women have a disadvantage. So for example, in many organizations, People have maternity leave policies, which is wonderful. We want to support women when they're starting their motherhood journeys, but that doesn't always echo into a more inclusive parental leave policy. So that means from the start, women have the higher responsibility for caring for their families because organizations are not allowing space for men, for example, to take some more of those child care duties off of women's hands. Yeah, it's a, it's a great example. And um, you know, I think speaks to creating, you know, as leaders, we can think about creating more uh, equality by promoting equity. So let's actually shift to that because, you know, I think speaking personally, you know, as a leader, you think, okay, how do, what is my role versus the systems? How much can I push for? What can I do as an individual? Because I think everyone who wants to make an impact asks that question. Claudia, maybe I'll turn to you on this. What do you see as the role of a leader in tackling uh, inequity and pushing for equality? Well, when I think of the individual role of leaders, I always think about consciousness because there is not as much conscious awareness about it. I think we, we must continue to raise that awareness, uh, leaders and people in general, because we work from our own mental, you know, paradigm schemes, and we act from that automatically. So uh, if we don't start to be more conscious about it and to realize it, to, to care about it, we are hardly going to promote it. 
I think inclusion, there is this phrase that I, I like. It comes from a campaign that I, I heard, which is inclusion starts with I. So I truly believe this. A strengthening awareness, I think, is the first thing, but it's not enough because we have to create new habits and that requires a lot of practice. So if we don't show a path for that practice, it, it also will be difficult. It's, it's not about it's not only about awareness, but also to create that path for practicing inclusion. Yeah, very helpful. I like I like that begin with intention and then the, the path. Angie, do you want to build on on that comment? Yeah, thanks, Bart. I love what Claudia just mentioned about raising our consciousness. And I think a big part of that is also educating ourselves on the daily experiences and challenges that women face within our organizations and beyond. And when we notice, you know, within from raising our conscious that we are making biased decisions or gut decisions, making sure that we also alter our actions. Uh, and so all of many of us as individual leaders make gut decisions on things like hiring, promotion, assigning projects. I think things are shifting to more systemic directions, but there's still a lot of room for us to, you know, make spontaneous decisions like whose ideas you take at a meeting or even who you invite for the next coffee chat or the networking events that you have. Uh, and so if you take some time to reflect on the kinds of unconscious biases that may be driving your decisions, but not only that, but also take the time to think about the impact that they have, then it's clear that you know, striving for equity is not just about systemic mm. changes, uh, but these systemic changes also don't happen overnight without our work as individuals as well. Yeah, so really, I like that. It's really the, the, the yes and. So yes, there's systemic changes need to happen, but as individuals, and I like your point, it's a great one, Claudia, you don't have to be in a leadership role to develop that awareness of the biases of the choices we in, we unconsciously make and then make intentional change in uh, how you're leading. Is, it, is that how you, you say it, Claudia, or anything to add there? Yeah, and, and I think it starts also with women, it, ourselves, to be more conscious about the ways we can be more active in supporting other women too. I think in, in my experience as, as a coach, there is this mindset thing with women that we are very judgmental and very look we search a lot for perfectionism so sometimes we can be too critic also with other women so i think uh, it's important for our, we women to raise also awareness about ourselves and our how our mind is working and how are we uh, supporting or not supporting this equity and and to Marissa's point, uh, even though the systems may serve, or men, we all have a role to play in, in promoting equity and driving for equality. And, and you know, this year for IWD, they, they've set out you know, three ways that we can support this embrace of equity and promote a more equal world. They are to celebrate women's achievement, to raise awareness about discrimination, and to take action to drive gender parity. We've touched on all of these to varying degrees, but I think I thought it would be worthwhile for us to do a bit of a deep dive and really provide some thoughts around each. So, Claudia, maybe 
we'll start with you since you were on, you were talking about supporting women's successes. Let's look at this first point that we can all, men and women, celebrate women's achievement. What does that mean and how should we go about doing it? I realize how difficult it is for women to recognize their own achievements. And I think I can see three reasons for that. Uh, Many women are more acutely aware of what they lack about their flaws and weaknesses rather than their strengths. There is this belief, and I, I see this a lot in in my in the practice here in Latam in Mexico, that uh, women th- think that by recognizing themselves, they mm-hmm. can become arrogant mm. and be the target of criticism, and not only from men and other gender genres, but from women themselves. So mm. I think that that there's, there is this important point uh, that the search of perfection is very marked in the education of women on this side of the world. And I think, and, Claudia, sorry, sorry to jump in, Claudia. Yeah, I think this is a great point that, and just a study I read, and I'll, we'll have mm-hmm. to see if I can find it. It's been a while since it's come out, but it asked men and women, you know, said hypothetically, there's an internal, you know, say 500 men, 500 women. There's an internal posting in your company available. They're, the ideal applicant will possess 10 qualities. How many of these do you feel you should possess before you would even apply for the role? And I think men, the average was like two and a half. <laughs> and, you know, women were like six and a half. And so what, what that meant was you had men who were far less qualified, happy to apply, <laughs> and women who were more qualified, not applying. For the role. And that stuck with me because what that said was the organ, both those deserving candidates and the organization were worse off for that, that decision. So it sounds like that's what you're seeing in your practice, the, the hesitation to just not even self-promote, but take credit for achievements. Is that, is that what you see? Yes. And it's, it's funny what you said, because they are never ready. Hmm. Um, interesting they they yeah the is if it's not perfect they won't apply yeah they i think that searching of perfection somehow is uh, holding back a lot of women that's what i can see and and there is a lot of pressure that they put on oh. themselves and i and i can talk about myself too about it because i come from the corporate world in my past in my former executive life and uh and it was that way you know mm-hmm. you have to excel in everything and there is a lot of pressure to fulfill that expectation so i think that by promoting a culture of learning from failures and allowing more failure you know imperfection rather than perfection can minimize this reactive behavior of women of women looking for perfectionism and i think that in general, uh, we talk about awareness, but I think that there is an essential play uh, role that managers play uh, in shaping that kind of culture. Yeah, that, that Angie, Marissa, would you add anything? Any thoughts on how we can all celebrate, better celebrate women's achievement? Sure. I, I love what uh, Claudia pointed out about, you know, the pressures that women face. And I, I do agree. I think oftentimes, even in my experience as a program facilitator and as a consultant, I do see that there are internal pressures felt by women uh, toward striving for, you know, perfectionism and for competence. 
uh, from the recognition of their competence. And I think we also have to recognize that a lot of that is not only internal, but it also comes from external factors as well. And so, uh, you know, the the cultures of organizations that we're a part of, the environments, the structures, they all have a role to play uh, in, you know, making sure that there isn't uh, an, an influence of bias or, you know, uh, stereotypes that in, uh, that shape the ways that women are recognized for their achievements, they're celebrated, uh, they're put in positions where they can thrive. Because I think without these external uh, influences or external changes, you know, the internalization of those effects uh, are also, you know, hard to ignore uh, in the way that they they show up in uh, in the behaviors of women. Yeah. So Angie, you 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 mentioned something really important, which is you know. D discrimination or bias that really prevents that celebration. Well, and we're going to talk about that second point momentarily. It's a good lead into our second way that we can support equity. But Claudia, I want to I want to come back to you because you really have given us some good thinking on this celebration topic. Um, and and I know yeah. you, we've said in our discussions there are some things to celebrate. So maybe I'll give you the last word now on on this first point of celebrating women's achievement. Yeah, well, I would like yes to still we need we have a lot of things to celebrate, even though the statistics and all the studies, the research doesn't show a very fast move on women achieving higher positions with inside the corporate world. There are a lot of the other very good samples around the world in very important positions of leadership and achieving a lot of uh things in other uh, areas like sports or, or arts. For instance, there is this uh, new first woman in Mexico that is presiding the, the court. So even mm -hmm. though we cannot be, maybe we don't agree or yes, agree with her position, but she's the first woman here in Mexico to, to be presiding uh, in the court. So it's something mm -hmm. that we can celebrate, as well as in the United States, having the first women as a vice president, etc. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things that we can acknowledge and celebrate. And I think that's also important. Yeah, and representation, we know that representation matters, that shows a path and shows a different profile of leadership. So absolutely, yes. we're celebrating. So, okay, so point once, we can celebrate women's achievement. Point two that IW International Women's Day 2023 is stressing is that we need to raise awareness about discrimination. Angie, I'll, I'll pass the mic to you because you commented that while we celebrate, we also have to make sure that there isn't discrimination that undoes that internally or excellent. So talk to us a bit about discrimination and what we can do to raise awareness about it. So I think really the point here is that we don't know what we don't know. Right. And, and so I think one of the best ways that we can build awareness about discrimination and bias is really to continue to educate ourselves and to build our knowledge. And so I have a good example uh, of, of this. So I had someone uh, in, in a session that I facilitated that belonged to an organization that was really striving for gender equity in their uh, recent hiring and promotions. Uh, and I had a participant uh, complain that 
that this doesn't seem fair that this the organization is prioritizing hiring women because in the team that this person belongs to, there are many women. But later on, what this participant didn't know was that overall in the organization, 90% of the employees are male. So this person belonged to an anomaly team that mm-hmm. happened to have more women. But there are also several factors that they may also not be aware of. Things like, you know, are all women in the team that they belong to treated the same? In mm-hmm. Do they experience any pay gaps? Uh, mm-hmm. Are there differences in project assignments? And so these are also additional factors that should contribute to the education and the knowledge building. Because again, coming back to the fact, you know, we don't know what we don't know when it comes to discrimination and bias. Uh, and I also want to add that uh, in order to build this awareness, having a safe and consistent space, as well as the culture to embrace these kinds of safe spaces for discussion and feedback is so important because if you don't have these spaces, then it's difficult also for women to voice the discrimination right. that they're experiencing. So, I, you know, coming back to what we were discussing earlier about individual leadership, uh, if we are looking for things that we can do as individual leaders, uh, instilling practices within our teams to build these safe spaces for discussion, sharing uh, the opportunities for, uh, you know, uh, sharing resources, and also uh, if there is possibility to run things like anonymous surveys, focus groups, maybe having some panel group discussions to increase the exposure on these conversations, those are also great ways to build further awareness about discrimination. Yeah, thanks, Angie. And you, you really highlight a few areas of discrimination that, you know, a push for equity can address. You, know, you talk about representation, your gender representation in the workforce, you talk about pay gaps, you know, how people are treated, paths to advancement, some of which, as you pointed out, are more visible than others. And I think, you know, you've all, you've highlighted that and we see this when we do work around diversity at inclusion. These can be sensitive topics to raise, right? That they can lead to backlash or 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 even challenging but well-intentioned questions. Perhaps you could share some of the more challenging questions in your work as a facilitator that you get around that may be well-intentioned or 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 not. What are say top two or three questions that you get um, challenging? the premise of discrimination, and how should people answer them? Thanks, Bart. I That's a great question. And I can think of two that came up in my experiences of facilitation. So one is some form of questioning around what men can do or what men should do to participate in these kinds of you know, priorities around uh, gender equality and equity within organizations, because sometimes I receive the feedback that as men, you know, as much as you know, you're well intentioned, you may have the intention of being an ally. You're not quite sure what to do, and sometimes you also feel excluded from the conversation as well. And so, I think my response to these types of questions is really to first uh, to reshape our mindset on this the engagement around gender equality. I love the definition uh, in uh, in UN uh, Women's website and uh, UN Women defines gender equality and within the definition explains that 
this implies that the interests, needs, and priorities of both women and men are taken into consideration. Mm. Yeah, and that we should recognize the diversity of different groups within women, but also gender equality is not just a women's issue. It should concern and fully engage men as well as women. Mm. So I think this reshaping of the mindset and definition around gender equality is really important. If you're a people manager, you're in opportunities where you can uh, you know, reshape the attitudes. I think this is an important conversation to have. And also to then focus on you know, things like bystander intervention or allyship development, really engaging you know, also males in the conversation on ways that they can also serve as allies toward gender equality. Because at the end of the day, it's really about being you know, equitable and inclusive for all, not just women. So Angie, that's super helpful. Marissa, any perspective on this uh, tackling discrimination by raising awareness? Yeah, Angie, I really like what you were saying about reshaping mindsets around this being um, not just a women's issue, but for everybody. You know, studies have shown that the burden of DEI work and women fighting for equality is really placed on women themselves. And the studies have shown that often this work to create inclusive environments and foster collaboration for equity goes unrecognized. It doesn't come up on performance reviews. So either we're seeing that women are taking on extra work outside of their regular workload and contributing to burnout, or it's putting them behind some of their other colleagues who are coming from a place of more privilege in terms of their workplace deliverables. So instead of working on something that could be contributing to their next promotion, they're doing this DEI work that some people sometimes goes unrecognized. So I like that we can call in everybody because we know that workplaces that are inclusive and diverse are better for all, all people. They're more profitable. People are more engaged in those workforces. So bringing everybody into the conversation really is a good way to move forward. Yeah. And Marissa, let me just ask you something. When is it, when is it discrimination and when is it just historical inequity? So for example, if you have an organization, you know, Angie Raffer's organization is 90% men. How do you, as a, as a member of that organization, make the decision, distinction between raising and saying, hey, we have discrimination here? Or when is it like not discrimination, but, a, but something needs to be changed? Or, or are they one the same? I'd love your perspective. Yeah, Bart, thanks. It's, it's a tricky balance to just define what is discrimination versus what is systemic issues that are pervasive amongst our society. So for example, we see that the tech industry uh, is male dominated and you could go back to uh, childhood to explain that and in, in saying that in our culture today, um, men are known or boys are known for an aptitude with math and science. And we're seeing that young girls from a young age are opting out of that career path. They're maybe showing that there's some interest in coding or society is saying, no, that's a, that's for the boys. So we see that there are structures in place that don't necessarily encourage young girls, even from school age, to get into some of these careers. And then you can look to our current system. You could look to the recruiters that are hiring in those organizations. We know that there is bias in place when it comes to recruiting. And recruiters could be looking for people who have similar qualities to them. They could say, 
I was successful in this role or look at the people who are successful with this role. I want to emulate that in the people I'm hiring. And we continue to perpetuate a pattern of hiring people who are already similar. And you get organizations in like in this example that have a disproportionate amount of men as opposed to women. Yeah, Marissa, that's that's very helpful perspective. And it speaks to just how deeply rooted some of the inequity that we experience and propagate is. And, and is a good pivot to our last point drawn from IWD, which is that we can all take action to drive gender parity. And Marissa, I'm going to stay with you through the lens of HR. And, you know, I'm really proud of where we are as a company, not only on, you know, the equity that we've pursued, but the results it's had. And it is a journey and we're, we're continuing on, but we are a more gender equitable company and a more inclusive one. Uh, and I think you and the team really deserve a lot of credit for that. So maybe just briefly highlight some of the things that we've done and then share your advice on what, you know, what you've learned from that, what practices can HR leaders follow to uh, promote gender parity? So when it comes to promoting gender parity, I really think like one big take home that HR leaders can implement is to create metrics and clear objectives when making decisions around recruiting and promoting. So for example, if you're in an industry that is dominated by one gender or another, and you want to bring more diversity into it, I would say take a good look at your recruitment practices and think critically about the qualifications that you're looking for. We can fall into a habit of, like I said, continuing to hire people who we know have a profile that has traditionally been successful in that role. But I would say I would challenge people to think about what are the true necessary qualifications for that role and expand those checklists that you look for when you're reviewing resumes to open yourself up to people with different types of experience. It's less about, sorry, it's less about how do I, do I, do I get a good feel from this person, which leaves you vulnerable to bias and more about going in with the checklist so that you can really evaluate that person free from the bias. Is that right? Yeah, Bart, exactly. And I would even say to take it a step further, you may have a checklist that says we're looking for somebody with eight years of experience in this role or more. Uh, But what you may be missing out on is somebody who has transferable skills in another industry, or perhaps they took time out of the workforce to raise a family, but they were developing different types of skills while they were away. And you're missing out on all of those types of people that would bring a diverse perspective to the workforce by having an overly rigorous checklist of qualifications that you're looking for. Super helpful. What would be a second way that you'd encourage HR leaders or business leaders to intentionally drive gender parity in their organizations? Mm-hmm. Something I'm very proud of that we've recently implemented here at the Humphrey Group is a transparent compensation model. The reason I'm particularly proud of this is that it allows us to have very Uh, transparent conversations with people about the money that they make and why they make that. We see when it comes to making decisions about promotions or salary increases, that bias comes into play there. Um, Managers unconsciously can say, you know, I spend a lot of time with this person. I I see all the work that they're doing. I want to give them a bump. But that could be 
predicated on the idea that this person is in the office with them regularly, whereas other people from perhaps marginalized communities, they might not be able to make it into the office as often in a hybrid world because they have childcare responsibilities, or perhaps they have a disability that makes it difficult for them to have that face time with their manager. So by having a comp model that's based on competencies, we're able to say very concretely, yes, this person uh, is meeting all of the objectives we're looking for, they deserve an increase or they deserve that promotion. And it helps to take bias out of those decisions. And you've also made the decision, I understand, to post salaries for hires, right? Because um, is it fair to say that women tend to uh, more rarely negotiate their starting salary and, and consequently end up getting less? Yes, very fair. As Claudia was talking about earlier in our conversation, when women talk about their accomplishments, they can be perceived as arrogant as opposed to their male colleagues. So from a start, women are less likely to negotiate their salaries for fear of penalty for coming across as aggressive or not being perceived well or getting off on the wrong foot as they enter an organization. So without that negotiation in place, we're able to set a very fair starting salary for everybody who comes in, regardless of their gender or their ability to negotiate. So yes, I also encourage people to post salaries and just help to minimize that pay gap that we're seeing between men and women. Yeah, I think that's those are great examples of how equity, principles grounded in equity can lead to more equality. Angie, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll come to you now. Um, what are some other ways that whether you're in the, let's say you're not in an HR role, <laughs> but you want to drive gender parity by promoting more equity, by embracing equity, some tangible things that you recommend that people do. Yeah, I think individual roles, again, are so important in this work. So I, I want to you know, come back to the conversations we had around allyship. And so you know, if we are striving for gender parity as, as individuals, I think even within our day-to-day, there are things that we can do, like recognizing the women colleagues around you uh you know the the work the quality of work that they bring the competencies they have for you know upcoming job opportunities and promotion uh building opportunities for support whether that means mentorship you know again championing someone's abilities or creating actual opportunities for promotions and jobs so i'm not saying that you should only hire women for the next opportunities you have in your team but that you do the work to provide them with a fair chance and equal treatment right so you can also you know mm-hmm. do things like expanding your network and mm-hmm. talking to women on your teams for further feedback uh, and also making sure that we speak up, right? If we notice moments of bias or discrimination mm-hmm. around us, then making sure that we're not silent bystanders. Because I think we often forget that we focus so much on being an ally and we forget that the essence of allyship really comes from the recognition from the support, the group that you're trying to support. So if women around you don't mm-hmm. recognize you as an ally, you can't, you know, it's hard for you to say that you're an ally to women. Uh, and so really embracing the spirit of doing the action as an ally, uh, I think, could also contribute to, uh, you know, the, the greater changes that we see systemic, systemically. Claudia, I'll, I'll come to you now for the final thought. What is the most uh, impactful way that you would encourage your clients, men or women, to promote equity? Having 
programs in, within the inside the company uh, that help raise the awareness and create uh, that path in order to make the practice a competency uh, in in terms of equity and to make those programs not only for women uh, but for men and women as well for everybody in the company uh, what what we see today in in latam is that these programs are exclusively for women and i think that there is a great opportunity to invite men into the conversation so to start talking about these without labels you know and 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 so in that way find uh the allyship that uh, we have been talking about yeah and i'll speak and say i've been very privileged to be invited into that conversation not only at the humphrey but with our clients and it's um it's very rewarding it's not always easy but you know it is very rewarding to be part of that discussion um and to to be part of doing that work so it's all of our responsibility to your point yes so we, we've come to the the end of our and you know, we talk about this forever <laughs> because you know when we imagine a gender equal world i know we have a ways to go but there is a lot as you said cloudy early a lot to celebrate in terms of the fact that we're even having this discussion that we have tangible ways to promote equity as individuals as we've talked about like celebrating women's achievement as angie as you said speaking up as an ally or marissa as you showed how organizations can implement policies that lead to a more equal world and so there is you know uh, there is hope and there is work that can happen so I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we continue to progress and that we continue to, to move towards uh, an equitable world. What gives you hope in a world where we aren't yet at equality and we don't have equity? What gives you hope for the future? Claudia, I'll start with you. Uh, well, I think that uh, having those role models already so uh, visible for all women and in different areas of work, arts, uh, sciences, uh, having those role models for young women, I think is something that really ma makes me feel hopeful about the, the changes and the progress progress that is coming. Thanks, Claudia. Yeah, a lot, a lot of great examples of women in leadership we can celebrate. Uh, Angie, what gives you hope? What gives me hope is that this year's theme is focused on equity. I think this is actually a, a profound thing to celebrate because, uh, you know, the focus is shifting and broadening, you know, beyond just, you know, gender equality. And I think a big part of this also comes back to what we were speaking about at the very beginning about uh, the differences and the diversity within women and mm. the level where we can really mm -hmm. more deeply about this and that, Striving for gender equality means that we're striving for, uh, sorry, for gender equity means that we're striving for fairness of all women now. Mm. And I think that's definitely something that has come, you know, a long way and something that we can celebrate today. Absolutely. And I really appreciate your clarity around those two terms, equality and equity. I, I'd never heard it presented with such precision. So thank you. And yeah, great to have that as the theme. And Marissa, you get the last word. What gives you hope? <laughs> I am incredibly inspired by the 
drive to have these conversations. I am not seeing complacent people when it comes to talking. (laughs) There are so many incredible leaders in this space that are putting out content and giving us all very actionable takeaways to create inclusive environments wherever we are. So the fact that we're still having these conversations definitely gives me hope. And I just can't wait to see what the future holds. Well, and what gives me hope is the ideas and experiences and successes that you've all shared today. And and I, I'm very grateful that our company is uh, chosen by so many clients to help with the work. So really appreciate all three of you joining me for this conversation. You've, a number of, you've referenced great articles and resources. We're going to link them, like the McKinsey study, in our show notes. So if you're listening and you want to get access to those, you can. So whatever you're doing on International Women's Day, thanks for listening to this conversation. And uh, may we all work towards that more gender equal world. Thanks very much. Hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Angie, Claudia and Marissa. They provide some really concrete ways that we can embed equity into our work and our leadership and our practices and organizations to create a more equal world. Thanks so much to all of them. My next guest on the pod, uh, you can tune in in two weeks, we'll be releasing this episode, is with uh, David Sachs. David is an award-winning author and, and speaker. He also happens to be an old friend of mine. We went to grades one to six together, and his most recent book, The Future of Analog, was written during the COVID lockdowns, where you know the promise of digital did not quite match the reality. And so he's written a book that talks about how the world that we crave really happens in person. And so we explore his book and we also explore what it means for leaders, what it means if you want to create connection in a world that is still very Zoom or tech dominated. It's a fascinating conversation and I encourage you to tune in. If you are enjoying the podcast, please rate, review it. It really makes a difference in helping us get found. Last year was our biggest year by listeners ever. So thanks for all your support and we'll see you next time.